Welcome to this month's episode of Affirming Methodism, Embracing Diversity and Inclusion. My co-host for this podcast is Dr. Brittany Bethel. Brittany is the Director of Student Ministry and Adult Discipleship here at Light of Christ United Methodist in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Marianne Romanat. I'm the lead pastor at Light of Christ. And it's an honor to welcome you into the ongoing conversation we're having about a hopeful future for the United Methodist Church Uh, for the whole church and for Light of Christ here in Charlotte in particular. And even if you're not part of any of those churches I just mentioned, we welcome you to join us in dreaming of a vibrant, relevant church for today and tomorrow. Affirming Methodism is a podcast that's all about listening, learning, and growing together. We recognize that we don't have it all figured out as leaders in the church. We know we need to listen to one another. And especially, we need to listen to those who don't always have a seat at the table when it comes to church, those who've been ignored or silenced by pharisaical Christians, and those who have great insight and a deep spirituality to share. As United Methodists, we're intrigued and encouraged by the practice of open table, and we see this practice as a model for what everything about church could look like. We echo John Wesley's view that the world is our parish, And we seek to connect with more diverse people groups so the body of Christ can more fully express the kingdom of God. We recognize the importance of offering a more inclusive expression of the gospel to those who may have had a negative or discouraging experience of the church. And as a pastor, I can say that that's a whole lot of people. It's our hope that we can practice enthusiastic discipleship as the early Methodists did. That's why they were nicknamed Methodists. They had a method for discipleship. Today, we live this out by creating discipleship on-ramps for people at different stages of their faith journey. And through these monthly podcast episodes, we're promoting continued growth and discipleship for all of us. Yeah, in each of these episodes of the podcast, we interview people who love the church and want to see an authentic expression of the gospel in our time. We invite guests we know will challenge us, build our understanding, and point us in the direction of actually creating a more diverse and affirming body of Christ. By building bridges and empowering equity, we follow our Savior Jesus who regularly broke down barriers in order to live into reconciliation. Today, we're excited to welcome Tony Stone Brinson and Kim Lindsley, who have pioneered change at Light of Christ since they became professing members in June 2014. They married one another just weeks after gay marriage became legal in our country, and they will soon celebrate their ninth wedding anniversary in December of 2023. When Tony and Kim first became members of the church, Light of Christ had a very long way to go to become welcoming and affirming. These two women endured harmful comments, received the silent treatment from some, and were on the receiving end of various forms of discrimination, both within the church and in everyday interactions at work and at home. We are humbled by their faithfulness to the church and the difference they have made in our congregation. Both Tony and Kim are voices for equity and advocates for all of those in the margins of our society. We are grateful that they are witnesses to our church community about blind spots when it comes to seeking justice for all people. As their pastor, I can authentically share that Tony and Kim have genuine hearts for God and God's people. They love to serve with many expressions of Christian mission 
and they very naturally share their Christian faith with others. They're humble servant leaders. They sacrifice, give, and work hard to see the church thrive. I've seen this consistently during the nine years I've been their pastor, and I know they were mature Christians long before they came part of our church family. After Kim and Tony first visited worship at Light of Christ, along with Tony's son, Colton, we connected by email, and they invited me to their home. They asked me about whether we were a welcoming and affirming congregation, and I told them we were on the journey but had a long way to go. We discussed the fact that if they decided to become members of Light of Christ, they would truly be pioneers for change. They made it clear through their words and actions that their only agenda was to build Christian community with others and serve the body of Christ with their spiritual gifts. They wanted to see Colton grow up in a supportive church family. Despite the insults and prejudice they sometimes endured, they continued to be steady and faithful. They led by example. We continued on the journey together, and I have them to thank for much of my own growth in terms of becoming an ally for LGBTQ persons and a more affirming Christian leader. I'm still learning, and Tony and Kim are two of my best teachers, and they've become sisters and friends. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having us here. Yep, we're glad to be here. We're going to start with a couple of questions. So, uh, Kim, how did you come to be a Christian, and how is Light of Christ helped you grow in your faith? Thank you, Brittany. Well, I grew up in the church in Ohio, and at 13 years of age, I made my decision to be baptized by full immersion. Um, the church was very important to my whole family. We were custodians for the building, taking care of it both inside and out. So I spent countless hours at the church while I was growing up. I have lasting memories of the relationships that I had there, of the youth group, of summer camp, and of singing in the church choir. It was really very instrumental in my growing up years. The Light of Christ has helped me to grow my faith through the biblically-based sermons and songs that we sing, and also through service opportunities that the church provides. My knowledge of the Bible and, of life of Je and the life of Jesus has grown through sermons and songs that we sing each week. The sense of community is strengthened by service opportunities and small group gatherings. And one of my favorite things has been working with the youth and seeing faith through their eyes. Yeah, I'm so grateful that both of you serve in our student ministry and uh, just how you've invested in sixth, seventh, and eighth graders has been really incredible. Um, so Tony, what about you? Uh, how, what's been your experience of growing up as a Christian through the years? And how have local churches you've been a part of assisted with, assisted with or hindered uh, your growth? Sure. So, Brittany, much like you, I grew up in the Baptist church. Um, we attended every Sunday morning, um, Sunday night, um, Wednesday night prayer service, Awana, youth group, you name it, we did it. We were there. Um, you know, we learned the books of the Bible. We did memorize uh, countless Bible verses. Um, we played Bible trivia. You know, unfortunately, though, we were indoctrinated into a theology of shame and exclusion. Um, as a child of a single mom, you know, my father abandoned us when I was three months old. Um, my mother was known not so nicely in the church as the divorcee. Um, we were routinely excluded from family church events because, well, fathers were required, and I didn't have one. 
Um, people talked about us like we were stained, um, like we were to blame for our circumstance. Um, when I left for college, I was like, I am never stepping foot back in here again. Um, I went to college uh, here in Charlotte, um, and our chaplain, she was bar none like nothing I'd ever seen before. She was a woman, number one. That wasn't happening in the Baptist church. She was smart. She was spirit-filled, and she was approachable, and I'd never experienced that. Uh, my classmates and I spent hours. We discussed religion with her. Um, many of my um, college friends, they were from around the world, many non-Christian. Um, she wasn't threatened by that, and she didn't condemn them. Um, in my church, we thought Catholics weren't Christian. Um, so this was something I'd never, you know, really experienced. I, I think I had a decent foundation of the Bible, who Jesus is, but she helped me more than I could have ever imagined in growing my faith just by learning the difference between the church and Jesus. Um, after graduation, I couldn't find that. Um, it's also what I worry about for Colton is where is he going to land, you know, when he goes to college. Um, when Kim and I became friends in the 90s, we, we tried some churches. We, we tried her church. There's nothing special. Um, we attended one for almost two, three years, and all of a sudden, one man, one woman <laughs> came up in a sermon, and I was like, okay, that's a deal breaker. So we stopped. Um, when Colton came along, I really struggled with what to do. Um, I wanted him to know Jesus, but I didn't want him to, you know, to be forced or demanded to go to church like I was. Um, we visited a lot of churches before we landed at Light of Christ. Um, community for him was more paramount than it was for Kim and I. Um, he built lasting friendships, um, and, and it's been beautiful to watch. Um, Kim and I found a pastor, um, a few people who were kind, some friends, but we didn't find the community, um, and we longed for that, but we stayed for Colton. Um, we poured ourselves into the church with prayer team, trustees, Stephen Ministry, uh, discussion panels, missions, SPRC. You know, we, we tried all of those things. Uh, we developed some valuable friendships over the years, but we just didn't feel like we belonged. Um, that all changed about a year ago. Um, when Light of Christ started the parent support group, we decided to attend. Um, the welcome space and warmth of our, our friend Jen and Tom was just the start of something special, and we didn't, we didn't expect that. You know, the church has offered us roles to be individuals with our gifts, and that's great, but this is different. That provided us a space to show up as a couple and to be seen, and that's been the greatest gift in the last year that we have been searching for. That's powerful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Kim, I want us to talk for a minute about the, the whole church, the Big C Church. And from your perspective, how is the whole church progressing in terms of welcoming and affirming all persons? Well, sadly, in my personal opinion, the United Methodist Church is stuck. And we've been stuck since 1972 when the language in the Book of Discipline was changed. And all of a sudden, 
It was not okay to be in the church if you loved someone. And it wasn't one man and one woman. And it is beyond my comprehension why this is an issue. I do not understand it. I've read the Bible. I've been immersed in the Bible. I've done Bible studies. And there are so many directives in the Bible to love one another, to take care of one another, to make disciples. But I don't find a single directive in there that says exclude people at will because. And I just don't understand why we're spending so much time and energy on this. There's homelessness. There's hunger. There's the biblical directive to make disciples of all people. And I don't see anything anywhere that says at the end of the song that I learned when I was growing up, Jesus loves me, asterisk. Jesus only loves me if. That's not the way it reads, and that's not the way I'm willing to, to see it. The United Methodist Church is willing to take my offerings. They're willing to have me give my time and my talent to the church. They will baptize me or my child. They would do my funeral service, but they won't marry me. They won't be participating in the covenant of love that I have with the person that God has set aside for me to spend my life with. They don't allow my marriage. In all honesty, the progress has been slow and divisive, and it hurts. Tony, tell us what are some of the ways LGBTQ Christians are being harmed by the church today? Well, it's been happening for a long time. Um, and when I, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind when you ask me that question is um, I see one of my dearest friends, Becky. Um, in 1992, I was a college senior, and one of my dearest friends, Becky, she was the president of Fellowship of Christian Athletes. She was the president of our honor society. She was our valedictorian. Um, she was so accomplished. I mean, she had been accepted into medical school for like an Ivy League. I mean, she was brilliant. Early in 1992, um, Becky decided to come out to her parents. It's interesting because her parents were um, her father um, was Native Indigenous American, and her mother was black. And they had experienced incredible racism as a biracial couple. Um, her parents had raised her in the church. And she was a faithful Christian. Um, but when she came out, they couldn't accept her. Um, they disowned her in the name of the church. In the name of God, they disowned her. She was a beautiful person. She was an, just incredible. But she took her own life in our dorm. Um, I remember on her funeral, the day um, we went through the line, and as, you know, classmates, I mean, I was angry. I was hurt. It was just this rage of emotion in me. And I remember her mother, as I hugged her, even knowing what she had, had done, she told me that she wished that she had a gay daughter and not a dead one. And, you know, the, what the church says matters. Um, and then 10 years later, my brother-in-law, um, intelligent, gifted man, worked for SAS, 
I mean, he was smart as all get out. Um, but he was abused by my father-in-law um, as a young adolescent, and he grew up in the church. He knew his Lord, he knew his Savior, and he was a faithful Christian. Um, he battled back through AA for addiction. Um, he really tried, but ultimately he couldn't, he just could not stand the exclusion from the church, and he took his own life. And then, um, as you know, Marianne, my nephew um, struggled a lot before he turned 18, and, um, you know, he called me to say goodbye, and he said he just couldn't stand hearing from his parents or the church not one more day that he wasn't worthy. So, you know, he, he said that he, Satan just had a hold of him, and he believed, like, he, he believed that, but he fought it at the same time. And, you know, I just think that having lost Becky and David, when he called me that day, I mean, I got there as soon as I could. He's alive and well. He's living his best life. I'm thankful to God for that. You know, but that day I pleaded with his parents. You know, if, you're, if your church demands you to turn away from your child, something's wrong with the church, yes, not with him. Absolutely. Not with him. So, you know, the mission of our church, much like what Kim said, right, is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And this mission is incongruent with what's happening in the church. Yeah, I think we're tired <laughs> yeah. of battling. And I'm grateful that you guys have con continued to do that. And uh, it's made a place for me to be authentically myself. And I'm just really grateful for that. Um, because it would be so easy to just say, thank you for your time. I'm out, you know. Um, but I'm grateful uh, that you all have stayed and endured. And um, But I want to acknowledge the tiredness that I know you both feel and um, just the long suffering that this is because it is, it is that, uh, it is that. Yeah. Um, let's talk about hope for a minute because otherwise we'll get into a yes. deep, <laughs> deep, dark moment of despair here. Uh, so, uh, Kim, how do you think the church can move forward in a hopeful future? Well, I think there are some things that are already, um, in place. I think that the Reconciling Ministries Network, which is a growing movement of individuals, congregations, or other groups, um, they, they work for full inclusion. And I believe that that's a, a very good option and one that um, you know is, is a great next step for this church or for some groups within this church. I also think that signage is important, something with a recognizable sign to show all the LGBTQ plus people that they are welcome and that they are safe in this place. And I think that that needs to be done both to our physical building and also to our social media um, pages and uh, presence. And lastly, I think that a continued in investment in our youth is absolutely essential because when I'm here, when I'm surrounded by our church youth, I feel hope. I feel the hope that's missing at times on Sunday mornings. I feel that hope on Wednesday nights. Tony, um, what, I what is your dream for the United Methodist Church in particular as we approach General Conference here in Charlotte, which is 
feels like we're kind of living in a simulation <laughs> that it's going to be in Charlotte. But here in Charlotte uh, in 2024, what are you, what's your hope? What's your dream? This is a really hard question. Fair. Um, you know, I remember the fateful days of the last, you know, general conference and with, with Marianne and I texting relentlessly back and forth that day. And so I don't really have a dream. Um, I think with so many churches already disaffiliating, I'm disappointed and I'm heartbroken for the church. Um, you know, the book of discipline says we are of sacred worth. I don't think they believe that. Um, they already voted, you know, they've left the, they've left the United Methodist Church. So I do have hope, um, maybe not a dream, but a hope. Um, and that's that the discussion is not approached like we are an issue, but that we are seen as children of God. Finally, that the church sees that if you're a member or you're a pastor, there's only one kind of membership and only one kind of pastor. And all members and all pastors are entitled to all the same privileges, duties, obligations, and rights. No exclusions. That's it. That's my hope. Um, so we wait. Patiently. Impatiently. <laughs> Impatiently. Fair enough. So this last one is for both of you to answer. Um, you can decide who goes first. Uh, Kim goes first. All right, it's been decided. So what is one thing that you want your church family here at Light of Christ to know about LGBTQ inclusion, both in the church and in our society? I am surprised and shocked that people, even within our own church, think that this matter has been settled because it has not been settled. It's not been settled in our nation. It's not been settled in our church, the big church. It's not been settled. We've had conversations, but it's not been settled within this church because the time hasn't come that allows it to be settled. We can move in the right direction, but it's not settled. There have been more than 500 anti-LGBTQ laws introduced this year so far, and we're in August. These are bills that seek to strip away dozens of legal protections and rights for LGBTQ people. The sacred covenant of my nine-year marriage to my wife may one day not be legally recognized. This is heartbreaking. This is not settled. We need to continue to move until it is. Not settled indeed. Well, I think for our church family, all these years, we feel like we've been hiding in plain sight. We're afraid to speak. We're afraid not to. We're afraid to touch or comfort one another. And we're afraid not to when we know that one another is hurting and we need reassurance to carry the token of being the only queer couple here for a long time has been heavy. We never wanted to do anything to damage anybody's perception or image of what a queer couple could look like um, because our allies in the church are few. To do this is hard and honestly, it causes us to betray ourselves and to be betray our covenant to one another. 
Um, we're happy to have others here now. Thank you. Um, the burden is at least shared, but it still exists. The sacred space where we can be together as a family and a couple is priceless. Um, and, and we thank our church family here that we're finding community in this way. For the larger church and society, especially Christians, when you read or recite John 3.16, just go one more verse, just one more. Because if God didn't send Jesus to condemn us, he certainly didn't send you. Yeah. Um, I think for me, I'm just really grateful for the two of you. And I think Taylor and I have been able to live into an authenticness in our relationship because of you. Uh, because you sat on a Zoom call in my interview and just said, my wife and I, and I um, immediately knew I was safe. And uh, I think I, if I'm gonna be honest, I thought I was too safe. Uh, like I thought that it was like a safety, like I was good, you know? And um, I, for the first time in my life, came out to someone other than my family and very close friends when I came out to you at your kitchen table. And I think that um, that moment, I just cried through it, and I'm gonna not cry through this, but I, I just cried through it because I just finally felt safe. And uh, finally felt like maybe I could live this call out that I know I have um, in a safe way. And, and obviously, maybe, maybe not obviously to that Brittany in 2020, but, <laughs> but obviously to the 2023 Brittany, uh, it, there was still a whole lot to jumble through and work through. Um, but I am, that was the catalyst for me to know like I can work in the church and not have to hide. Um, I can be who God created me to be because I, I finally sat in an interview with a church and was like, ah, my people. <laughs> and, uh, and it was so refreshing and I'm just, I'm grateful. So I'm grateful for your witness. I'm grateful for your longevity and suffering because, um, whether if you would have left before 2020, I wouldn't be working for a church. Uh, I wouldn't have, I, I would have given up and uh, on the church, not, not, I would have given up on the church completely, I think at that point. And um, because I knew that it was time to, to be authentic. I knew it was time to be real. I knew it was time to get married. I knew all of that, um, but I needed this place to get there. And so I'm really grateful to you both for that. So thank you uh, for just, your patience and perseverance. Um, you've made our, you've made my life better. You've made my my family better, uh, and you've made this church better. And I'm just really grateful for that. I know at times it might feel like it's all been in vain, or that it's been hard, or that it's too much. Um, but you've made a difference in me, and so I'm grateful for that. And I want to say thank you. There really aren't sufficient words at all for that um, but I, I'm sitting here thinking about Donna Rowe uh, who we're we will celebrate this weekend at her memorial service and I remember the day she said to me how much of a difference the two of you had made in her life um, that you had really opened her eyes and helped her to grow and so that's just one example among many some of whom uh, we have no idea and won't know this side of heaven so the seeds you've planted uh, are crucial, and um, I knew that it would be a long road, and it has been, and it's probably been a lot worse than I anticipated. 
but we're on the journey together and I'm grateful for that because that's what really matters. I think uh, Taylor said this um, when we were celebrating Colton uh, our last night in youth, his last night in youth group, um, that her watching you all raise Colton helped her realize and I think helped both of us realize that we could do that too. And so you really, yeah, it's just you've changed, you've changed our family and uh, in this church and I'm really, I'm just so, so thankful for that. I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, I, I remember that interview and it was, it was so powerful to me to say it, my wife and my son. Um, I haven't always been, you know, courageous enough. And, um, you know, during one of the other interviews that we had, one of the most beautiful things happened, and that was Terry Longetti. And it was such an affirmation for me, right, that one of the other, you know, folks that interviewed, um, when I said my wife and son, and there was this reaction, visceral reaction. And as we were, you know, talking, Terry was like, Mm-mm, no. When Tony introduced herself, and I was like, it was the, honestly, it was like one of the first times that I felt affirmed yeah. in this space. And so that was awesome. But the other thing I would say, too, is to you, Marianne, is that when you asked me to speak on the panel four years ago, um, I'd been playing chess with God, and I told you that. I'd been playing chess with God, and I was afraid. Um, I knew what would happen with my family when I finally told them. And every single thing that I knew was going to happen happened, and I've pretty much lost my family, except for a few. And that's okay. That's okay. Um, it's not what I wanted, but it's okay. And I think that that being on that panel pushed me to let God win the game of chess with me, to let, let it breathe and to be me at home, at church, at work. And then that was, I'm not going to lie, I'm still scared. I'm still afraid. Um, but because you asked me to do that, I came to grips with what, what I needed to do, and that was to love myself. Right. Mm-hmm. And know that God created me to be who I'm meant to be. And I just didn't, I don't know if I didn't accept it or if I didn't know it. It doesn't matter. I finally accepted it. And so this church has given me a platform too, not an agenda, but a platform to find myself. And, and I appreciate that so very much. Things, you know, I don't believe things happen for a reason, as Kate Bowler would say. That's right. Things happen. <laughs> That's right. Yes. But I do believe that things happen in time like a zeitgeist, right? the spirit of the times. And if I had not done that, I wouldn't have been ready to say that, Brittany. Yeah. I wouldn't have been ready. And so all things come for good. I know that. I just think that um, it's important that we continue on this journey because 
while we may have helped, you know, one or two people or couples along the way, there are many, many more people and couples out there that need this space and that are just waiting in the wings for God's promise to be fulfilled to them. And we have no right to stand in the way of that. And I think that not only do we not have the right to stand in the way, but we have the obligation to stand and welcome them in. And that's what I want to do. Yeah, just just one last thing I guess I want to say, because I think this is so critically important, is, you know, I've told Colton this his whole life. His name is this. His middle name is Worth. And if our youth are listening, and I hope they are, nobody gets to decide what your worth is, but you and God don't let anybody else tell you what your worth is. And I think that's so critical, especially for our youth. They're so beautiful. We love them so, so much. And um, I, I just didn't want to end this session without recognizing the power of community in our youth group, Brittany, that you've created. And I feel blessed that I endeared my son to you, um, you know, and um, – I think that there's just power in that, and, and the, the worth of our children is our future. Yeah, and if we can give them a space that when they walk into church, they don't have to question their identity, or they don't have to hide parts of themselves, the weird parts, the hard parts, the good parts, the, the God-made parts, you know, like, I mean, what a gift that would be, you know, to just, I think we all longed for that, to be able to walk into church and just be ourselves and and not have to, like, I was so good at like shutting parts off, right? I, shutting off the parts that I knew would get me excluded. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think for our students to, to let them, every bit of it just be what it is, you know, uh, I think is really cool. It's, it's such a gift to be able to do that. It's the, it's the first church I've served in, and I've served in a lot of churches, uh, but it's the first church I've served in that I can look at them and say, you come exactly the way you are. You don't change a thing and not be scared for them. Uh, and, and so, yeah, it's really, really cool. I'm really grateful. Yeah, yeah. Thank you both. Uh, this has been really great. And um, for those of you listening, thanks for listening. We, uh, this podcast, Affirming Methodism, Embracing Diversity and Inclusion, is our way of exploring the future of the church with you. Thanks for being on this journey with us. We hope you'll join us for the next episode of Affirming Methodism, which is released monthly uh, on the last Wednesday of the month. You can find us on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, and YouTube by searching Affirming Methodism Pod. Our next episode will be released on September 27th. Go ahead and hit subscribe so you don't miss new content as it's released. As always, we encourage you to love God, to love your neighbor, and to affirm and celebrate the beauty in you. Thank you.